0: The Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab number 405 for Sunday, July 1st, 2012. (laughs)
1: mac observers mac geek cab the show where you send in your questions you send in your tips we try to answer your questions for you to the best of our ability we provide some tips of our own we have some fun with a little segment called cool stuff found occasionally and together the goal is learn a little something new each time we get together here it is sunday night and i am dave hamilton from durham new hampshire john Ron in Fairfield, connecticut why are we doing this on sunday again oh you you have
0: something now you're you're I'm, I'm accommodating your need to do something tomorrow, right?
1: That's right. Yes, I have a a, a gig at Pedro's house at five o'clock tomorrow. I, I don't know who Pedro is and I don't even know where his house is, but but I know that I need to be there and it's about an hour away. So that's why we couldn't do the show in the afternoon. Lisa needs the studio in the morning to, to do the work she needs to do. And so here we are on Sunday night to make sure we get this out. And don't make you wait, because sometimes that happens. And I don't like that when it when we when our schedules force that with the way the week is going to go and July 4th coming up. It's all just going to spiral out of control anyway. So here we are on Sunday night again, which is um, the well, the second time in a row. But but it's you know, it's our old happy hunting ground from seven years ago. Seven years ago, man, we were doing this on Sunday nights. That's crazy. That's um. It's been a good seven years, so that's good. Gazelle will be the sponsor of this show. We'll talk a little bit about them uh, a little bit later. Do you have anything to share before we dive into Fred's question here? John? Share on what level? (laughs) Okay. Fred writes, uh, I am planning on moving from Windows to a new MacBook Pro that was just released uh, at WWDC. Before I ask a question, I need to give you some background information I had my iTunes library loaded on an external drive uh, using the FAT32 file system that was connected to my Windows computer. The Windows XP system hard drive went down and out. I installed the new hard drive with Windows XP, but I had a heck of a time getting iTunes to access the library on the external drive and give me my play counts. I like keeping track when I play songs. What is the best way on allowing the new MacBook Pro to access the iTunes library without losing play counts? Should I use an external drive or load the iTunes library on the MacBook Pro? I have a WD Passport which has the NTFS file system, which I could use. I understand that one of the external drives may need to be formatted under macOS, uh, under HFS Plus for Mac. For the Mac, I have a, set up a small network for the home office that I could possibly use as well. The other systems are Win XP. This will be my first Mac. Looking forward to the new system. Okay, Uh, well, Fred, it's great that you've been a listener for so long and uh, very happy to hear that you're coming over to the Mac. I think that's going to be great. So iTunes. um, Is is an interesting thing inside your music folder uh, on your Mac, you have an iTunes folder that has your iTunes music library file, and that's the one that contains all your play count information. And then there's a folder in there called iTunes music that typically contains your music if you haven't relocated it to another drive. So you want to make sure you do two things. Number one, that you put the music somewhere that it makes sense for iTunes to find it. Uh, And then number two, you want to if you want to retain your play count, you need to pull that iTunes music library in. Now, here's the thing. Um, Your Mac, it's going to be if if you had your music in the iTunes music folder proper on your windows machine, uh, then moving your an iTunes folder from your windows machine to your Mac and replacing the kind of the, the stock one, the empty one, if you will on your Mac, it would totally work just fine. However, because you have your iTunes music somewhere else, this could get a little hairy. iTunes knows to point to your music folder location, uh, by the name of the drive. And I'm not sure how that's going to work migrating. Maybe, John, you have some ideas about it. But it the easiest thing, if you have the room on your Windows XP machine, would be to move within iTunes, and we'll give you the steps to do this, to move everything back to the iTunes music folder and then copy the whole iTunes folder over to your Mac. That would be the easiest way if you have the room. Um, and the steps to do that would be... Going into iTunes, go into the uh, preferences in iTunes, and uh, the first place you're going to want to go is advanced, and you want to change your iTunes media folder location to your local drive. Uh, This is on your Windows machine. Then you want to go to the file menu, go to library, and say organize library, and choose the consolidate files option that will take everything that's on the external drive and move it to the internal drive. And once you've done that, now you've got an iTunes library that's sort of all self-contained and you can move that easily to your Mac. Otherwise it's going to be kind of tricky and you're going to have to play file. When you play a file for the first time on your Mac, it's going to say, how do I, I can't find this file. Where is it? And you go and find it on the external drive that you've now connected to your Mac. And then it, It'll ask you, do you want me to use this drive to find other files? But you might have to do this a half a dozen times before it sort of gets the the gist that everything is over there. But that's also possible, but it gets a little more squirrely. John, do you have any thoughts on this? Because I'm going to get in the weeds soon, if, if not.
0: Well, no, uh, just to comment on one of the... Um one of the weeds, but, uh, no, I checked this out. So yeah, everything you're saying is correct. I don't have really have much to add, but I did want to look, I'm glad I got to right. verify that play count. Well, the thing is specifically, or, or one mm. of the specific requests here was play count and I did find it. So it is in the file called iTunes which I believe is present under either version, whether it be Mac or PC, I'm actually firing up a VM right now to make that's sure you. that's the case I,
1: on windows, but cool. yeah, I think it is, but but you'll you'll let us know down the road here in this show if it's not. So that's good. But then using an XML editor, which you can use edit, you can do anything.
0: I think I used um, uh, Plist Pro, I think it's called, uh-huh. which is a specifically a plist, uh, very nice. Uh, is that what it's called? Yeah, I'll find it. But uh, okay. But no, I have a program that uh, specifically can parse these. But anyways, no, it showed me a key. So so what happens is in the iTunes library, XML is an entry for every track of whatever you have, as far as I can tell. And uh, stored within that structure in XML, or it's pretty much text, is a count called play count. So as long as both people can see that file, then you're going to maintain this value, because it sounds like that's important in this case.
1: Interesting. Okay, that's good to know. You know, um, I I did something that actually normally falls into your world, John, is I looked for a knowledge base article about this and I found one and it actually uh, and we'll put, of course, it in the show notes, it's iTunes, how to move your music to a new computer. But there is a very important thing that it suggests that uh, thus far neither one of us has mentioned, and that is the Windows Migration Assistant. And uh, and that actually may be the magic answer for you here. So, uh,
0: oh, because so imports. Out. I didn't know if it had the level of grant. You know, I was thinking that in the back of my mind, but I I don't know if it has the level of granularity to just import iTunes stuff. Mm. Yeah, you maybe might it does. Be, I actually, yeah. I think that article. If you look at that article, I think it does actually have the. Um, it has screenshots. If okay. it does, no, again, I thought that because, yeah, I mean, for, in general, what, what, what was in the back of my mind when reading this question is, oh, well, if you're migrating from a PC to a Mac, then of course you want to use Migration Assistant, which uh, fairly recently acquired the ability to import Windows stuff. It didn't used to be able to do that. It was just from another Mac. Right. When did they introduce that? Was that one or two versions
1: ago? Was that was that lion or was that before lion? I think vehicle? it was snow leopard. But yeah, you're right. It's uh, relatively new, and I always forget about it. So, um, so I'm glad we didn't forget about it this time. So that that might be uh, you know another thing. We'll put that link in the in the notes there too. Cool. All right. I think we did well on that one, John. Moving on to uh, to question number two here.
0: I think so. Yeah, maybe right. uh, finished starting
1: up, but I'll uh, okay. I'll. I'll I'll inject the the comment when it's ready. Awesome. Perfect. Uh, John, not you. Listener John writes a while back, you talked about your use of your Gmail accounts with Apple Mail. I do that, but I have a problem when trying to delete email. It always comes back. Is there any way I can have Apple the Apple Mail app delete the mail from the Gmail server without having to open up my browser? Yeah, there, there is. Um, and it can work. Again, it's always important to remember that Gmail and IMAP are kind of two fundamentally different things, but they've done an admirable job of making it work uh, as long as you work within their, their realm. So it, it, the first place to check is to go in, onto the web, into Gmail, uh, and you've got to go to the settings um, option in Gmail, which you start by going to the little gear It's sort of in the upper right, but not all the way in the upper right, because then you'll go to your Google settings as opposed to just your Gmail settings. But get yourself to your Gmail settings and then go to the forwarding and IMAP tab and uh, forwarding and pop slash IMAP tab. The pop thing is still there. And in there, you want to make sure that the option auto expunge on is the one that's checked and and, or, or selected. Specifically, you don't want auto expunge to be off. Uh, what this means is when you mark it as deleted, it will just delete it. And, and that's that. So that's that's number one. Number two is you need to make sure that your Mac and Gmail both agree on the using the same trash folder, because when you delete a message from your Mac, all it does is move it to a it, whatever folder it has decided is trash. And it may get this wrong out of the gate. Gmail uses a folder, an IMAP folder or what it what it advertises as an IMAP folder called trash. Apple Mail, by default, will use a folder on the IMAP server called deleted messages. Uh, you 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 definitely want to to have the two of them agree on this. And you do that. We've got some instructions that will that will link to an article that we wrote a couple of years ago. But but it's still relevant here. But uh, but you do that by finding the folder Uh, In mail that Gmail is going to use as trash. Highlight that folder and then go to the mailbox menu and choose use this mailbox for and then select trash. And you you also want to do that with drafts sent and junk is there. Don't mess with junk. You want to do that differently. Uh, We'll we'll, we'll link to the article where we talk about kind of how to manage all of that stuff. But that's I think that's going to be the magic answer there. Any unless unless of course I have some nad so the other would.
0: place well the other place you want to look is in within mail app in the preferences in the accounts section there's going to be a list of all your email accounts and I'm looking right now at my gmail and the the, the other thing that I want to point out which may be something you just want to check and make sure it's set up the way you think it should be is in the mailbox behaviors tab in the in the account section. There's a section for the trash and there are a couple of checkboxes that I think are pretty interesting. Move deleted messages to the trash mailbox, store deleted messages on the server. And here's my favorite. Permanently erase deleted messages when and you can either say never when they're a day, a week, a month old or when you quit mail. So. Which do you which do you use there, John? I say move delete, I have both boxes checked, so I say move deleted messages to the trash mailbox, store deleted messages on the server,
1: and I say delete it after a month. Okay, me, that's, I, I do exactly the same thing on one of my Macs, the one that I consider my master machine. On every other machine, I leave the boxes checked, but I the permanently erase, I set to never. And that way I know there's only one Mac that's going to be deleting messages. So that's my thought, but I think Gmail will actually, in theory, delete things from its trash box after a month anyway. But, but so um, anyway. Interesting. I know they
0: do for their spam folder. The spam, right. uh, Spam definitely purges after thirty days. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, but I guess the thing is, there are two places you can look to uh, to impact the trash behavior. Yeah, definitely. I'm just mention. Oh, yay! All right. What's hey, next?
1: Well, all right. Uh, moving on to Jim. Uh, and let's see if I can find the right gym out here. We have a couple of gyms. We actually have a couple of gyms and we have like three questions from three different people named Robert, which I think is, I love that when that happens, all the Roberts I know, no, um, actually, you know what? I'm going to check this, this trash thing. Cause now I want to know. Uh, yes. Gmail says messages that have been in trash for more than 30 days will be automatically deleted. So bear that in mind. Uh, if, if you do do exactly what we just told you to do, and you are moving trash messages to Gmail's trash folder, uh, know that they will go away in 30 days, even if on your Mac you have it set to never. So that's important. So actually Mm -hmm. you could set it to never on all your Macs and presumably Gmail would take care of it. That would be my guess. So, you know, that's That's good stuff. All right. We're ready to go on to Jim here, John. You betcha. All right. Jim writes, I would like to boot to Lion on an SSD, replacing the DVD drive in my MacBook Pro 13 inch and still use the data from the main hard drive uh, that runs Snow Leopard from the limited information I have found in my Internet search. It seems possible. I seem to need to put all the Apple apps on the SSD, but how do I tell them and any other apps where to go looking for data, which I intend to keep on my regular hard drive that will still have a snow leopard boot on it instead of recreating or starting with new data on the SSD. The reason for doing this is that the SSD is only 120 gigs and the main hard drive is 500 gigs, but it's almost full. Of course, I'd like to have the option to boot to the old snow leopard hard drive. Whenever I want to run legacy power PC programs, I'm willing to keep the hard drive up to date with upgrades and such, but I want the ability, greedy as I am to move to mountain lion if it's not too different or has overwhelming features and still live with my old snow leopard installation and those apps that I no longer have the activation codes for, or are not lion compatible. So what I'm requesting is a, is this scenario feasible? B if so, could you help me get a start on doing it with some basics and C, would you give me some useful search terms that would direct me to details for accomplishing this? Well, we will do our best Jim. So um, in, in short, uh, and then i 'm going to pass it to you, John because I think you're going have some good stuff on this uh but I think this should be very e- easily doable in fact i don't think there's much to it. You can store your data wherever you want to store your data you're right. the Apple apps uh need to be stored in the applications folder to make life simple it 's where Apple's going to put them when you install uh, the os and if you move them out of there, things start getting really wonky, especially in terms of automatic updates and that sort of thing. But um instead of storing the data in your documents folder on the SSD, you could store your data in your documents folder on your hard drive or really any other folder you want on your hard drive but uh, you know i I recommend keeping it somewhere that makes sense so that you can you know easily find it later um, it's all quite feasible and even should continue to be doable with sandboxed apps that are required for you know new app store compatibility and and all of that uh because sandboxed apps can go outside of the sandbox with user intent and user intent being a file dialogue box uh, works just fine. So, um, you know, for opening or saving. So that, I think that should, I think that should work out. Okay. What do you think, John? I'm wondering if you want to go a little farther with this. So, so for
0: what I can gather reading this question, the intent is to put two hard drives in this machine. Is,
1: right. that, is that what I, I got Yeah. And he to wants to keep. Well, yeah, he's currently booting to Snow Leopard. He wants to put an SSD in. But really, it doesn't matter what the, the media of the drive is for this particular question. He just wants to have two hard drives, one that boots Lion uh, and, and one, the old one that boots uh, Snow Leopard. That's right.
0: OK, but let me suggest a few things that I'm wondering if it would make sense to do. Okay. Or if you'd even want to try to do. So uh, the thing is, Apple does suggest that you use uh, or for for a lot of apps will look at documents because that's where you, you probably should be storing your documents. I don't think you necessarily have to, but that's where a lot of programs expect you to do so. Right. Right. Yeah. It's the
1: first place they look. That's right.
0: Yeah, so um, you know, maybe creating a, a would it be a hard link or even an alias? I wonder if if that would make sense to do from one
1: drive to the other. An alias would actually make sense. Yeah, you could you could inside your Documents folder on your Lion boot drive, uh, and in your user account, you know, go into Documents and make a link in there to your Documents folder on the other drive, or an alias, and and maybe name it you know old hard drive Documents folders, so that when you're there, you're just right there. Actually, an even better place to put it, John would be Mm. in the favorites, Uh, you know, drag that over Uh, right to the favorites on the side. So you can just choose it really easily right there. And you don't even have to go to your, you know, your SSDs documents folder. I love using the favorites. It's like, you know, it's a it's poor man's default folder. Right. But you could also actually default folder would be a fantastic thing because you can set that by app and you can tell it no matter what, you know, start me over here. So that would actually be. I would I would definitely use default folder. In fact, if you're not using whoever you are out there, whether you're doing something quirky, not quirky, but something out of the box like this, or living in the box, uh, the box is a much better place to be when you have default folder. We love that. Oh, I've been using that forever. Yeah. Yeah, I've been using it. Yeah, since so OS nine or whatever. Yeah
0: so here 's the other option now, i don 't even know if you want to do this, but it just occurred to me this is something you want to try is that if you go in your account settings and advanced options, you can change your home directory now I'm talk, now i realize i 'm talking home directory not just documents now. I wonder if that <sighs>
1: You know, no. I wouldn't. do that. I, I've with,
0: never tried to do that. You know, I should just to see what it's all about. Like, would it make sense to change the home directory to a boot
1: to a driver that's not the boot driver? Can you even do that? In, I would. Um, I wouldn't do it only because you've got you can <laughs> you can put it anywhere. And it actually makes sense okay. for people that have really small SSDs to have a okay. home directory okay. somewhere else. But not with two different OSs accessing it as its uh, home directory. Uh, 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 right. That could. I mean, you know, you're on your own. Truly. But, yeah, you know, if you yeah. have a problem, ask us. Just a thought because I know we've talked about this window and it
0: has warning in red letters. So, you know, changing anything here could could, could instigate disaster. That's right. Yes. <laughs> that's right. But that's probably the the, the, the least, uh, the, the, the entry that has the least potential impact. Well, no, I won't say that because there's other stuff here. I'm like, right. you know, user ID, group, account name. I oh, mean, yeah. UUI. Oh, UUID. Now don't there's one. That. Oh, don't don't change done.
1: that. <laughs> hey, you know, while, while we're on this, topic kind of sort of, I mentioned sandboxed apps, you know, it's, it's um, so in a very general sense, uh, this is good for anyone that has gotten comfortable digging into the library folder to look for, you know, application. The, The one place that we all tend to wind up going inside our library folder at one time or another is the application support folder. And in there you'll find folders, typically folders named after many of the apps on your system. And they keep a lot of stuff in here, not just preferences, but sometimes little documents and files that are important to uh, to your world. Well, when it comes when you're troubleshooting stuff uh, that is sandboxed and you won't know that an app is sandboxed by it telling you. uh, But if you if you start going into the application support and you can't find stuff, go back out to the the top of your library folder. So home library and you get there uh, by going to the go menu. Holding down option and when you push down option, you will see library magically appear in your go menu. This is true of lion and presumably true of mountain lion. I hope I hope it's true of mountain lion, Uh, but go to your library folder and then instead of going to application support, go to containers inside containers. You will see separate container folders for each sandbox app that you have run on your system and they're usually going to be named after uh, what is what they call reverse dns or i don't know it, it's going to be like for preview it's com.apple.preview so you got to you got to kind of look there but then once you open that you're going to see uh preview's a little different but you're going to see some uh interesting things you'll see a um data folder and then within that data folder you see a separate documents folder that's only available to the sandbox app and a separate library folder and inside this library folder is where the applications sandboxed application support folder is. So that's that's how you find this stuff. If you have an app that's sandboxed and, and I, I throw that out there and just, just, you know, file it away in your it, somewhere in, in the back of your mind. And when you're troubleshooting something that's sandboxed down the road, you'll say, oh, yeah, that's right. The containers folder. And uh, and so that's, you know. Hey, we, we try to help, right, John? That was
0: helpful. Yeah.
1: It Had you stumbled onto just, that yet?
0: No, you just hope really confused me now.
1: Yeah, good. Well, that's the, I think that's the point of sandboxing is it's security <laughs> by confusion. No, it's, it is more secure. It's just sort of, Oh, it, no, I'm with you. Yeah. It gets crazy. It, it's it, it. Apple's not sure what they want to do. They, I they want to make, you know, Mac OS secure and controlled and all that like iOS, but you know, here's the, th- I'm going to go on a little rant about this because I am not against sandboxing on the whole. Obviously it's worked very well on iOS, but here's the thing you have this iOS device and it is for the most part, a very self-contained thing, right? So to, to say that you can't run apps that, that talk system wide, it has made sense. I mean, there are certain things on iOS where we all, you know, have a little frustration here or there, but for the most part, it's fine to have apps that, that live in their own little sandboxes and don't need to talk to each other. But on the Mac, this is very different. You know, you're not going to plug an external hard drive into your your iPad. And I and I say that and I should follow it with a yet five years from now, that may not be true. But but currently you're not going to plug external hard drives in and and you're not going to you know, have all these other devices. But on your Mac, you you're going to do that. And one thing that is a notable uh, glaring omission from the Mac App Store is any sort of hard drive utility. And the reason is it can't exist there because a hard drive utility can't live in a sandbox. It needs to speak at a root level across the system to be able to like drive genius. Right. Perfect example. You want to, you know, defrag your drive or repartition your drive. That obviously has to work at a very, very low level. And the sandbox completely omits that. Another great example is something like mail tags. Right. Or, Or mail act on or default folder for example, right? These things need to impact lots of different apps. Text expander is now out of the Mac app store because they, they found it too frustrating to live inside the sandbox. It doesn't work. So it's, um, you know, but all of these things use Apple prescribed APIs to get their work done. And yet, you know, you still can't live in the app store. So it's a weird sort of, it's a weird thing. And I'm not sure where the magic answer is. I get what Apple's trying to do, but it's, um, you know, there, there are great apps out there that we all need at one time or another. And Apple understands that we need these. And yet they can't live in the Mac app store because of Apple's restrictions. So it's it's we're at a weird spot. Be interesting to see where this is two years from now. Right, John? Sure. Do you have any thoughts on that? Have you ever tried a G connect? A G connect?
0: I've seen this and, you know, it it, kind of touches, I think, of what you were talking about. Well, maybe not. No, it's um, G Technology was one of the people, one of the companies I saw at the the show here. And they have something called G Connect, which they claim is a wireless storage for iPad and iPhone. I've
1: seen this. So it looks
0: like a wireless drive, though. it, It looks like it has some restrictions and I think it may present itself not purely as a drive, but as something else. And it lets you bring your content along with you and connect wirelessly and access it. I'm, I'm not qu- quite sure of the specifics. I, I just know because I've seen it more and it's caught my eye, but I've never, you know, I should, I mean, I have an iPhone. I should, I should yeah. talk to these guys. I mean, it doesn't really address your issue. Yours is more of the, you know, implementation or, or security thing. No,
1: but the fact that this product exists speaks to the, at least, you know, at some level demand for external storage for your iOS device. And if the iPad and the MacBook air, you know, merge or or there's some, if the iPad keeps growing and it will, you know, it's going to get faster. It's, I mean, it's, you know, obviously it's a product that, that Apple's having success with. So they're going to keep iterating on it. And, and it is going to get to the point where you want to do other things with it. And, and that's where it really, you know, you can only do the things that Apple has prescribed for you to do. And you live in the box. And that will get frustrating. So that's, yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. You should check that out, man. All right. Where are we? Uh, I'm going to talk about Gazelle, our first sponsor today. Gazelle is uh, the, it really is the best place to go. If you need to sell your old Apple devices, be it an old iPod, an old MacBook pro. Maybe you went to WWDC or didn't go because you couldn't get a ticket, but you did get online and order a new, you know, retina MacBook pro. And now you got to figure out what to do with, uh, with your old one. Well, go to gazelle.com, plug in the model number, choose the thing from the list. Tell it, tell them what condition it's in and they'll tell you what they'll pay you for it. And then if you like that, say yes. And they'll send you a box. You pack the MacBook pro into a box, ship it off to them. All of this at no charge to you. They'll inspect it, make sure it matches the model and condition and all of that stuff. And then they'll send you a check. They'll either PayPal you the money or they'll they'll send you a check or they'll give you an Amazon gift card, I think. Uh, But they'll get you your money and you're done and you're good to go. You didn't pay to ship it to them. If they get it and they say, hey, this is different than what you said it was or it's in a different condition, they'll give you a new quote and they'll say, "Okay, based on what we have here, it's either worth less or more than what we originally told you. And then it's up to you. And if you say, yeah, yeah, you know what? That number's good by me. If it's more, probably great by you. Uh, then they'll send you your money the same way. If not, they'll ship it back to you and you're out nothing, no cost to you. So you got to check this out. And, you know, we've had now countless listeners write in after hearing about Gazelle here on the show and using it and said, you know, there there are invariably times when the automated part of this uh requires a little bit of human interaction and all of you have told us that the people there are fantastic to work with and have always worked to quickly solve your problems and get you what you need so really even if you don't have anything to, to sell it's kind of a fun thing if you got some time to kill on the internet go to gazelle.com pick a device that maybe you don't use a whole lot anymore um unfortunately they don't take kindle fires because you know we Got a lot of useless Kindle fires laying around. Um, but uh, but, you know, your old iPod, maybe your your, you know, first or second or third generation iPod. Go ahead and plug that in and and you might be able to get some money for it. And uh, if not, you know, even if you don't have a device that, that you want to sell right away, maybe plug your iPad in and see what's it worth today. Maybe you scratch your head and say, hmm, maybe it's worth selling it to them. Then I can pick up a new iPad three. Good to go. Check it out. Gazelle dot com. All right, John. You want to, uh, why don't we do, uh, uh, Macha's question. You ready to do that? Am I, am I throwing yes! you too far off here? All right. No, go. I am. I'm ready to go. Oh, you want me to read it too? Okay. Well, I do. Let me, yeah, yeah. Let me get that up. Sort of uh, the idea. I've been talking a lot. You know, I did my rant. I did the ad. So now I, you know, I want to take a break and enjoy a sip of tea.
0: All right, here we go. I think go. I have the answer to this. The, awesome. the, uh, I, I think you'll like the discussion because, uh, yeah, I found something unexpected. Hi, Jenna Day. i hi john and dave i have a problem with itunes 10.6.3 in os 10 10.7.4 when i launch itunes its window is not in the center of the screen but located more to the right and bottom i can drag it back to the center of the screen close it and launch again and the window opens correctly but when i restart my mac or launch it the next day t- the itunes window opens the again how could i force itunes the itunes window to remember its position after reboot now this is weird Um, now he's talking lion and you know what, Dave, I found where this is stored. Now I thought I knew where this is stored. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I, as I started poking around online, I I found different suggestions for where you want to look for where this data is stored. Now I thought it was stored in my preferences folder in com.apple.itunes.plist. Right. But I couldn't find it in there. But it was funny because when, when I would make changes to the window position, it would seem that not that file, but the one that we just talked about recently, the iTunes library.xml file, it looked like that got updated. So I'm like, oh, I wonder if it's in there. But then I finally, and how did I do this? I, I think it was the tip that uh, willing to, of course, but it, it's a good general tip in that. You can do a find operation, and as long as you change the qualifiers in the finder's find operation to say include system files, you will see system preferences. So what I said is, and actually, I think this is kind of clever what I did. So it's like, all right, you want to search for something that date last modified is in days, weeks, or hours. or, or No, I think it's months, weeks, or days. I'm like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> well, because that's a level of granularity. So I'm like, you know what? No, did well, did this work? Maybe I'm imagining things, but I think I typed in .1 and and as far as and I'm pretty sure it only showed me things within that smaller time frame. I didn't enter a whole number; I entered a fraction. I think it took it, or maybe it didn't. Maybe I'm just imagining things. But anyways, what I did see was a whole list of files, and we we pointed to this as the way to find out. Uh, it's, it's one way to find out what pref files or plist files were modified when you fiddle with an application. So then you can look inside of it and, or find out what it is so you can delete it. But anyway, so I I Sorry. saw a file called, and, and when you look at the files in this list, uh, if you have it set up right, on the bottom of the screen in the find, you're going to see the path to the file. So I think what happens is I looked at the list of files that were most recent by clicking on the, the date column, and all of a sudden I saw file called windows.plist i'm like hmm. all right that's interesting i wonder who that belongs to because it just lists the file it didn't list the entire path when i went to the path here's where it was dave now this is the one where i think the data is in there but but check this out i haven't seen this and i haven't seen this in snow leopard i think it's just lion users my username library saved application state yeah. Com.apple.itunes.saved, and that's a folder, and within that folder was Windows.plist. And I'm like, you know, I'm almost positive they changed this. I, I did not look in my Snow Leopard installation, but I'm almost positive they stored it in two of the files that I mentioned before, which is either the library.xml file, iTunes library.xml, or the, the com.apple.itunes.plist. Is that the right order? I think that's the right order. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the company comes before the name of the product. But I was like, I thought it was there. You know, I think it is still there in, in um Snow Leopard. Because I I can't find this folder called app saved application state on my Snow Leopard machine, just my Lion machine. So right, I think because they because Snow changed. Leopard doesn't
1: have those. You know what that folder's for, right? And this is why this makes me scratch my head. Well, I think
0: that's window positions in the Windows P
1: list, I think, is window positions because I couldn't find that data in another file saved. Yeah, you may be right, but but saved application state is where it Mm. stores what windows were and what files were open when you quit the app so that you have that that seamless restore right where you, you double click, you know, you open up an app and it opens all the same files that you had the last time. Right. That that's what that saved application state is. And actually, from a troubleshooting standpoint, if you're having a problem where every time you launch an app, it's trying to open a file that's that's damaged and you can't get it not to you go and blow that folder away inside saved application state. And it won't do that. But it's possible that iTunes is storing window positions in there. That's kind of weird. It's not you're not supposed to. But uh, or maybe you are maybe 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 in fact, that's exactly what that's for. So, yeah, you but you could delete that, that com.apple.itunes, save state folder, and uh, and then relaunch iTunes and see what happens.
0: I mean, the other thought, though, a lot of people said it didn't work, would be, so make a backup of this file, but com, the you know, the preference, the PLIST file or preference file that I talked about, yep. delete that and see if, uh, you know, something weird with that. Do yeah. not delete. The other file I talked about, even though it seems to be touched every time you launch it, which probably makes sense. But yeah. iTunes library at XML, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, don't. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. The preference file, I think uh, I, I don't think. Uh, yeah, because all, all the important data is stored in the iTunes library, not in the plist file. I think it's very minor. You know, the stuff that you find in the Yeah, well, the, the preferences dialog in uh, right for right, setting in iTunes is what's going to be in there. But nothing, I think, earth shattering. Well, again, right. just make a backup before you, you delete it yeah. Yeah. or make a copy of
1: it with a different name. So cool. All right, John, I'm going to fast forward to Mac Geekab 407, which would be the next regular show that we do. Um, and, and the reason I can do this is because we're constantly iterating on on how we do the show. And as many of you know, we have a live stream uh, that you can listen to when we record the show at Mac slash stream. But we also have a chat room there that is going to get better. Uh but uh but there are some people out in the chat room and one of them asked while we were talking about the previous question uh will Mountain Lions gatekeeper do something to fix the issue I was ranting about with uh with regards to the the sandboxing and all of that so instead of answering that question in MacKeep 407 because we get the uh the the question live while we're doing the show we can answer it now so the answer is sort of gatekeeper Uh, You know how when you download a file in in Safari now and you go to launch it, it says this application uh, was downloaded from the Internet. Are you sure you want to launch it? That's the only types of files that Gatekeeper will uh, impact anything else. Files that exist on your system or files that you download from a browser that is not, you know, Gatekeeper aware will not be impacted by Gatekeeper. But. Stuff you download with Safari or other Gatekeeper aware browsers, whatever those might be come Mountain Lion release day, uh, will be impacted by Gatekeeper. Now, uh, Gatekeeper in Mountain Lion has three options, and these are in the security and privacy preference pane inside of Mountain Lion, uh, or at least in the public screenshots we've seen. And they the, the setting is allow applications downloaded from and you have three options and you can pick one. Anywhere is the least secure, meaning no matter what you download, it's going to allow it to run once you allow it to run. Once you say yes, it's okay to to run. Uh, The second option, which is slightly more secure and is the default, is Mac App Store and identified developers. And we'll explain what that means in a minute. And then the third option, which is the most secure, means Mac is, is Mac App Store only meaning only things that are downloaded from the Mac app store. Uh, But as I said, you know, Apple's created this scenario where something like, you know, drive genius can't be sold in the Mac app store. Uh, But they have done something and created this identified developer program uh, or or developer ID program is what it is. And that's where a developer like ProSoft, the makers of drive genius would go to Apple and register themselves. It costs them nothing, and they register and they get uh, an ID and and they can sign all of their apps similar to the way Mac App Store apps are signed. But they're doing it themselves and they're, you download it from their website, not from the Mac App Store. But it has this little bit of code in it, if you will, that that says to the Mac, hey, Apple knows who made this. And so we know how to find them if this app is found to be doing something nefarious. And uh, and that's Apple's way of saying, hey, yeah, you can become a trusted developer and we will trust your apps by default on all Mountain Lion systems, even though you're running or you're, you know, choosing not to use the Mac App Store for whatever reason. And, you know, in the case of of Drive Genius, it's because it wouldn't be allowed there. But other people might have other reasons not to choose to sell in the Mac App Store. Maybe they don't like the the billing terms or whatever. You know, there's, there's, you know, so so, yeah, Mountain Lion the good news is that mountain lion has provisions to allow for this stuff, which means Apple understands that this problem exists and yes, they're doing something, but it's not perfect, but it's something. So there's the answer. Any, anything on that before we uh, jump to Barbara here, John? Nope. All right. Then we will go to Barbara. Barbara writes in mail when I want text substitution to work, which is always, I have lots of shortcuts for repeated text. It's never on by default. I always have to go to the edit menu, go to substitutions and check all the options there. If I close mail or turn off the computer, I then have to go back in and do it all again. Is there any way to have these options left on as the default as it can be in all other native software? So what Barbara's talking about is if you go into mail and you go And you start composing a message. This is the important part because otherwise these options won't be available. And then go to the edit menu and go to substitutions. You'll see that there are five things that can be turned on. Oh, six things. Sorry. No, five. My counting skills are weak this evening. Five things that can be turned on or off smart copy and paste smart quotes, smart dashes, smart links and text replacement, which is the one that she wants. Uh, I tested this and on my Mac, Barbara, all of these options persist. If I turn them on and then quit mail and relaunch mail, they're all there. So the it it is built to do what you want. I think you are having a problem on your Mac. So let's figure that out. Um, I used our, our handy dandy hint, John, to uh, to help figure this out like like you were talking about before looking at the most modified or the most recently modified files right to to see what happens when i check these things and uh i found that the home library preferences com.apple.mail.plist file is where these appear to be stored The thing is, a lot of stuff is stored in that file and you don't just want to take the easy approach of throw it away, you know, quit mail, throw it away and put it back. That would work, but it would also kill off all of your uh, account settings and and everything else that that would probably be very, very bad. So you might have to go in, like you said, John, with the iTunes thing and uh, use your favorite P list editor. You could use Text Wrangler, which is free from uh, from BB editor. You could use bare bones. uh, Sorry, you could use. Let me say that again. Text is free from bare bones. BB edit is, uh, is also from bare bones, but not free. Um, or you could use the P list editor. You mentioned, and you're going to put that link in the show notes, right, John? Yes, sir. Okay, cool. Um, but, but there are five keys in the, uh, in the dict section of the, uh, of that P list and, and they each map to one of these things. And so you can edit those to be the, they're either listed as true or false and you can edit those to be around. They, they start with web automatic and then it's dash substitution, link detection, et etc. et cetera. You'll see them in there. Um, usually at the bottom of that file, that's where it was on all of my Macs. So, uh, perhaps you can edit that file, maybe just opening it and resaving it in a P list editor will repair whatever damage is there. You might have a permissions problem and that's a, uh, if, if you can't edit that file, you can manually change its permissions or you can run the user level permissions repair that requires going to the line recovery partition. Uh, remember that when you do permissions repair in disk utility, it does system wide permissions, but it does not touch your user folder. You have to do that differently. So any any thoughts on this, John? <sighs> The only thought I have is that
0: some of this is stored in, so I'm wondering if it could also be a problem with another plist file, and that's system preferences, personal, language, and text has a lot of these entries as well. And actually, the mail, uh, the interface to the, the the mail version of it, yeah. when you bring up that pref file, actually, if you click on one of the buttons, it brings you to system preferences, languages, and text. So, Huh. That's interesting. So I wonder if you may want to look at that. Now, I'm trying to figure, as far as I can tell, I think that file is, oh gosh, I think it's uh, com.apple.systempreferences.plist, I think is where that stuff is stored. So so I'm wondering if some of that's stored there, if that could influence as well, because uh, looking at the name of the things, a lot of these things are stored in that area as well. The preference. So I think these are local, you know, like dash substitution, so that replaces an M dash with an N M- dash, or whatever. There are two different types of dashes, and some people get real excited about them. Yeah. I think uh, link detection uh, and quotes, same thing. There are quote settings, but they're also in, again, in the system preference. Right. Um, spell Spellcheck, I mean, that's a, a, a... But again, a lot of those, it, it sounds like this stuff's in two places, so I think you may really want to look into prep files, or plist files, to, to see what, what the deal is.
1: Cool. All right. We have a summer vacation question from uh, from Thomas. I always love these questions because they involve like traveling and and interesting geeky things that we like to do when we're not working. So uh, so Thomas writes, we were done with Barbara, right, John? I, I got that right. Yes. Okay, good. Thomas writes, we're on vacation and I thought to bring my Apple TV with me because we love it so much. It's like a member of the family. He takes it with him on vacation. This is good. Uh oh. the, the beach house where we're staying, he says, has Wi-Fi and I got it to connect. I watched a movie and all of that. Then the Internet connection I used gave out. It was a generic connection. I, it, some neighbor's connection. Then I tried the actual account from the beach house and found that when you log in you get a web page and you have to check the box to accept the terms and conditions and then click the OK and then it works. And when I do that from my iPad, it works just fine. The question is, how do I connect through the Apple TV without having the ability to check the box and click OK? When I use the generic, you know, grab the signal from who knows where, that's not working now, presumably because they either lock down the network or the range just isn't quite good enough. All right. So. Here's the thing, given that the Apple TV doesn't have its own built in web browser, you can't do this. Uh, You need something to authenticate for you. And and so, you know, my thought was you have you you need to put a router of some sort in between uh, that grabs the signal from the wireless connection and then shares it wirelessly, but distributes its own addresses so that when what what you want to do is essentially create a second network off of this, and you need a router to do this. And then what you could do is you connect your Apple TV and your iPad to this second network uh, with whatever router you've got to go get a, a router. Uh, and I think an Airport Extreme will do this, John. But you're going to correct me if I'm wrong. Or Express? You mean Express? Sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, will will either one of them allow you to connect to a wireless network and then create another network from it? Or do you need something more advanced than Apple's routers? I've I've done that. Yeah. And you put
0: it in share an Internet address and it it acts as a. uh, Yeah, because I say we were suggesting you want you don't want your individual devices to be what's approaching this network. You want your airport. Right. But my question, that's that's correct. Or wireless access point to be accessing on your behalf because it's going to hide. The fact that there are other, you know,
1: mysterious devices that want to <laughs> get on that connection. Right. But will the Apple routers allow you to connect v- via a wireless connection to the Internet and then also share that wirelessly, essentially using the radio simultaneously? I'm almost simultaneously. certain okay, I good. did that at one Mac world is that I, I had it. I think normally I I'll try it through, it through
0: Ethernet. Too. No, I mean, normally I'll try it through a wired connection because, and, and this is just my travel tip, mm-hmm. is that if it's a choice between wired and wireless. Sure. If I have my uh, uh, portable router, I'll try to uh, connect to the uh, wired connection first. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's working, Of course. And because typically it's probably going to be faster than the, you know, train wreck that is most hotel or, <laughs> you know, public Wi-Fi. So. Sure. Yeah, of course. Of course.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I have, yeah, I have memories of doing this in a hotel. So, and, and, okay, so good. So, so that's really the only way because then, yeah, you could use your iPad to authenticate and now that's going to authenticate everything or it's going to authenticate on behalf of your router and then anything connected through your router should be able to get online. But, uh, but yeah, you definitely need the, the, a router to do this and I don't think you can do it. You might be able if you have a MacBook Pro or, or something like that with you, you might be able to do it that way. But I don't I don't know that Apple's software on the MacBook Pro lets you grab a wireless connection and then share it wirelessly as well. It's certainly doable. I mean, the you know, if you if you're willing to monkey about with the terminal, you definitely could make it happen. But I, I don't I I haven't tried it. So you'd have to you'd have to experiment. But that that's the answer, because the Apple TV doesn't have a web browser. And perhaps we should say yet. Maybe it will someday. And if it does, that'd be awesome. But, uh, but until then, this is the way you got to do it. Good stuff, though. Good questions. I like these. Moving on, John. What's next? Uh, We have a question from Robert. I said there was a couple of Roberts here. We're going to get to a couple of them shortly. Robert says, I got a new Mac. I couldn't hold it. I got a new iMac. I couldn't hold out anymore for Apple to update them. And the hard drive is enormously difficult to replace. So, for me to replace it with an SSD drive is not an option. Would it be an option for me to get an external SSD drive and put the system and my applications on it, connect it via FireWire or Thunderbolt or even USB, and then boot from that and use that as my main drive? Um, so, uh, pretty straightforward question, and the answer I'm sure will make it more complex, but but the answer is pretty straightforward. Yes, you certainly can, and there is no. Uh, rule against continually booting from an external drive. There are a couple of caveats, of course. If the external drive is not powered up or not connected, your Mac can't boot from it, obviously. And you need to set it up in a way that it, the connection, you know, the cable's not going to become unplugged when your cat walks by or something like that, because that would be really, really bad. Uh, but that's sort of bad anyway. Um, thunderbolt in theory would be a better way to do it because then you would be able to get the full speed of whatever bus they use inside the thunderbolt device like eSATA um or or what have you uh, but you know even firewire would be okay and and um uh, and you certainly could do it with usb uh, you know it would uh it would, uh, you know, it, it, you're going to run into to throughput limits, but the 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 latency maybe, benefits. Maybe. What's that? Maybe, maybe. maybe, right? Maybe, yes. But you're going to run into uh, the latency benefits that you get from an SSD. You'll even see over a USB two connection. So, so the you know the quick boot up time and all of that great stuff will happen pretty much over any bus, depending on the size of the chunks of data that you're moving around to this thing, you may or may not see a benefit moving up to, you know, Firewire or, or Thunderbolt. So that's, that's my thoughts on this, John, you got any, uh,
0: that's good. Uh, My experience, I, I, I once tried an SSD in a very basic USB two case and Mm -hmm. to me it kind of sucked. I didn't like it. Uh, it, You just said, the thing is you got to look at, First, the nature of the interface and just the, the relative performance. So USB 1, forget about it. <laughs> USB 2, sure, that's 48 megabits a second, right? Sure. USB 3, of course, I I, I forget off the top of my head what the maximum throughput is, but it's, uh, I mean, I did, you know, when I looked at this USB drive um, on my machine, I did a review of a desktop one, but I had a, a express card USB 3 interface, and uh, yeah, that's smoking. Um, so USB 2, eh. USB 3 or FireWire because FireWire in, in general tends to not consume system as many system resources. And you got your your two choices right now, 400 or, or even 800. Uh, I prefer 800 if I have anything to choose from because I don't have uh, a Thunderbolt machine yet.
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would definitely do, uh, you know, I, it, unless you're forced into it, I wouldn't do USB for, for this, uh, not USB 2. And obviously the iMac doesn't yet support 3. But, uh, but I you know, I think you're going to be relatively equally is happy with firewire 800 or or thunderbolt uh um, sure yeah yeah so yeah yeah good
0: stuff and i think uh firewire still is the sweet spot for price i think thunderbolt uh, although apple introduced them you, you know they're still uh, relatively pricey well versus yeah. the alternative which right. is the cable <laughs> right, right. <laughs> which you probably get for you know five bucks or, or so right uh yeah i gotta get a thought you know i'm i'm so uh, I, I gotta say I, I love the latest update because i think it's the mix of ports that will now convince me uh, plus i think i was approached the other day by someone who said hey john you want to review this thunderbolt product and i'm like oh gosh i don't have the, the machine with that so i think it may be time to retire my macbook not retire well you know sell it to well, gazelle or, or someone yeah someone's trying right. to go buy it it's it's still a, a fine machine yeah but,
1: but i i need more that's right yeah. Well, we need to, we need to, you know, infuse your gear fund. So we'll, we'll figure that out. Maybe, Excellent. maybe, yeah, that's right. Uh, all right. Let's jump to uh, some tips and cool stuff found because we are sort of getting to the end. Was there, were there any other, was there one other question you wanted to jump to? Or are we good on, on no, questions? Can we go on? Okay, cool. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, in, in 402, we were talking about finding different, uh, what, what files, Uh, What application was using what file? And Joe uh, wrote in and says in show 42, 402, (laughs) not show 42. It's been a number of years. uh, He says, I believe fuser is the terminal command you were looking to think of that tells you which process has what files open. And I had actually never used fuser before, so I'm not sure exactly uh, what uh, I'm not sure what I was thinking of. But but fuser is kind of cool. You you type it from the terminal. You type fuser space and then the path to the file. And if you're in the directory, you can just type the file name. So you type, you know, fuser and uh, it will return the file and then the PID, the process ID of whatever process or processes uh, are accessing that file at that moment in time. From there, kind of, I think the easiest way to find the process, the, the name of the process associated with the ID would be to just run activity monitor and look at the PID column, and you, in fact, you can even sort by that, and then uh, find the process, and then that'll tell you what uh, what has it open. So Fuser, F-U-S-E-R. So, uh, Awesome terminal command. I can't believe I've never stumbled into it before, so thank you, Joe. Did you know about Fuser, John? Or is this new to you? Is this new to both of
0: us? Absolutely not. Awesome. But you have to, yeah, you got to put a uh, uh, name of a file after it. No, I was just trying right. it at the command line. I right. tried another file that didn't have any process. So I think, yeah, it does a, I, well, I think it does a grip through uh, some other list, right? I'm uh, Yeah, probably. I think it's a script. It's going through a process list and saying, okay, anybody own this file? Ah, it's you. Okay.
1: Hmm. That's what it does. I wonder, I mean, it's, well, it's, I mean, it's a binary program, right? Uh, Fuser, mm-hmm. at least in Lion. Oh, I, you know, I, um, I upgraded. The, we're recording this show on on the studio iMac, which is now running Lion, and I completely ignored all of the advice that we've given over the years. I did a backup, sort of. I didn't do a clone backup, so I ignored that piece of advice. And then uh, I did just did like a normal upgrade to Lion, straight to 10.7.4 from 10.6.8. I did not do the migration thing. I didn't follow any of the advice that we have... Uh, shared with people and learned the hard way, uh, and so far, actually, it's okay. It seems like jumping straight to ten seven four was way better than jumping to ten seven or ten seven one. So perhaps they've fixed some of the upgrade issues. I did it on two machines. No, yeah, two Lisa's machine, two her MacBook Pro over at the house. So maybe. Nice. See, I
0: just I just tried this. So I type Fuser and then the name of one of the text files that I have open in that yeah. That's part of our show show notes. And it listed the name of the file and then it did a colon and it spit out a PID, which I went into uh, uh, activity monitor and looked up the PID and it's a preview, which is uh,
1: certainly a it's great. program that could open PDF files. <laughs> but yeah, it lives in uh, user bin. So, I mean, it's just a it's, it, it's not a it's a it's a binary file, I believe. Right. If I try to do a more on it. Oh, it's a you are right. It's a Perl script, dude. Huh oh look at you
0: it it just when i ran it i'm like you know what this this has to be yeah so i'm sure what it's doing is part is doing a uh, it's similar actually it's using
1: using lsof as the and then gripping on that uh yep pretty much Wow. Wow. I, I just amazed myself. Nice
0: call, <laughs> <Okay>. dude. <That's laughs> well, I'm thinking awesome. if I had to do this, what would I do? It, it right. doesn't make sense to write something from scratch. Somebody right. already done. Th- yeah. So, so they, they they took a very cool approach. They're like some other thing spits out a whole, you know, big
1: pile of data that has this buried somewhere and I'll just parse through it. Yeah. You know, it, it's an Apple thing. It, it, it was written by Apple. Uh, it's got a copyrighted 2005 Apple Computer Inc in there. So actually, you know, yeah, 2005, they weren't called Apple and kit, but um, you know, you could modify this and uh, have it also go through and grep the process list and match up the PID to the process name. And you could have it spit out the process name too. that, but that would probably be relatively trivial if you're comfortable with Perl. So unless good. it's one of the, I wonder if it's one of the arguments. No, I don't think it is. No, it's not. It's not one of the arguments. You can get the username, which is really weird. You can get the username, but not the process name. It's like, um, hmm, okay, thanks. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. All right. And then uh, uh Robert, uh, different Robert, but like I said, I promised we'd hear from several Roberts. He said, uh, "Hi guys, I was list- just listening to MacKeyCab four hundred four. We're glad you found it. Uh, regarding the listener that wanted to clone his boot camp partition." While listening, it jogged my memory that I had seen a sector level cloning feature in Drive Genius. Sure enough, in the duplicate section, you have the option to do a volume clone, which is the default, which just copies the files. And you also have the option to do a drive clone, which will do a sector by sector copy to the destination drive. They even mentioned that this can be used to copy a Windows or Linux drive. Haven't tried it, but there it is. And yeah, sure enough, he sent us some screenshots of the the manual and everything, or actually of the, of the software doing it. And, and there it is. Now the thing is doing a, a sector copy. Uh, if I'm, if, if, if I'm understanding it right, it's going to create a drive of exactly a partition of exactly the same size on the destination. But uh so if you if you're going from a you know 200 gig drive to a 500 gig drive, you're gonna then have a I think have a 200 gig partition, but then Drive Genius will also help you resize that partition once once the clone is done. So that's good stuff, John. You had something cool stuff found this week. Uh, unless you have something to say about Drive Genius, I'd love to hear you talk about this uh, this thing that I've no. That's, I've you know that's interesting
0: because I wonder if you do a block
1: copy, huh? Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to wheel over to the fridge while you tell them about uh, Backupify. So I'm going to mute out. Are you, are you ready to tell right, no, about well, Backupify? It's, or or well, are you yeah, still talking it's actually, about this? Well, I, I mentioned Backupify
0: and actually um, it came up because we recently mentioned another product, uh, CloudPole, right? Which is a, um, something that will back up Google Docs. And I actually wrote uh, the author saying, well, you know, there's this online option. And I guess this is the cool stuff found is that there is also a tool online that does this. Um, and so my question was, well, what's different? And I, I think essentially, at the highest level, the the difference is that uh, poll stores the data locally, and what I'm going to mention is a service I came. I think they had some sort of. Uh, uh, I don't know how I found out about it, but somebody told me about this. Some promotional email saying, "Hey, try this," but it backs up. Uh, All sorts of accounts to their servers. Okay. So this is the primary difference here is that, yeah, if you're not on the cloud or something, uh, yeah, you're not going to get your data, whereas uh, CloudPole, of course, stores it locally. So that's one thing. But right now I have it, it does uh, occasional, it may be several days before it does this, but right now I have it back up, uh, and it's a free personal account, back up my Twitter account, my Facebook, my Flickr, and my LinkedIn and then if you go online and you say, oh, by the way, um, can you send me all the data that you backed up? It'll do that. And it also supports, so I'm looking here, the other things that they support. So they put, support some of the Google apps, uh, Picasa, uh, Blogger, and something called Zoho, at least in the class of account that I have. So it doesn't, I don't think it stores every, at least the class of account that I have doesn't store everything. Sure. But it's, it's kind of neat. It basically, you know, authenticates itself to whatever server it is, and then just sucks all the data down stores it on the server. And I think it's a nice thing because I, I think they have a enterprise offering and some other, you know, pay, uh, offering. So, you know, this is to get you comfortable with it. And, uh, when I have had to, one time I said, you know, send me my Twitter feed and it's like, yep, there you go. <laughs> So uh, very nice, I think, to have a uh, so you avoid the whole single point of failure thing. Sure. I don't know if I totally rely on this, but it's certainly an option to back up data from
1: a lot of your social media apps. Because how else do you do it? Yeah. 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 I I don't know how else you would do that. I like I got to check this out. I was I was glad when you uh, when you sent me the email about it. So that's good. All right. uh, Let's see. We got, to, we got a little bit of time. We can, we can stretch things a little bit here. And I, and I just grabbed a, a beer from the fridge. So I think that's acceptable toward the end of the show here.
0: So here's, here's, here's what they got. So, so to close them out, Go. two gig storage is free. 10 gigabyte and five accounts is uh, five bucks a month. And then okay. unlimited storage, 25 accounts. So this is probably good if you manage something for a company. Uh, I would think we're a small business. Uh, that's 20 bucks a month. Wow. So. Uh, hey if, if personal two gigs it, it, depending on what you store how much stuff you store maybe maybe that 's enough in my case yeah i mean especially twitter i mean that 's just text, maybe my other things like my like flickr i mean that that you know
1: pictures could probably exceed that pretty quickly but right, right, yeah, of course cool all right the uh the next thing in cool stuff found comes from listener puma uh and that is a an interesting uh online app again called contacts extractor and it's at e email dot net and it says uh it, you can you can point it at your Gmail Hotmail AOL and uh couple of others and it will go you gotta give it your login so you know and the same with backup if I right you know you gotta you gotta trust that this service is is uh allowed right
0: it use. logs it it asks for your credentials to log Correct. in so we can do a backup. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, uh, but, it, but it will, it will go and get uh, contacts uh, from both your address book, but also it will go through all of your email and pull contact information out of every email you ever sent or received. So, uh, so, you know, an interesting, interesting place to, uh, to save all that stuff. So you can check that out. Contacts extractor. It, you know, I can see that being valuable, right? No. Sure.
0: Yeah. Well, especially right. since it goes just beyond what you can do already through, you know, like address
1: book. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, what else are we talking about here? I found something interesting, uh, and I actually need to refresh my memories. We, you know, we have, uh, we have stuff that tends to sit in cool stuff found for a while before we have time to mention it. And I found something called restore me not that someone turned uh turned me on to. and, it, uh, it's actually relevant because we talked about Lion's window restoration feature, uh, but you might not want a certain app. So instead of digging into that saved application state folder, you can run RestoreMeNot. Uh, it's a pref pane and you can use this to turn on or turn off window restoration for a given app. And uh, I believe it is free. So uh, it's at RestoreMeNot.info which is uh, that's where you find it. It's a little prep pane, and it very, very simple. It just shows the list of apps that window restoration is uh, disabled for, and you can pull things in or out of this list. And, and actually this is even better than, than going and editing that folder. This is a kind of a permanent setting. So instead of mucking around with the terminal, you can do it right here. You got anything else, John, or is it time to uh, time to wrap this one up? Wrap you bought wrap. Uh, well, I don't think we're gonna rap this time around. (laughs) We'll let the band play.
0: That will be our musical interlude. How do you like that? MGG rap. We got to think about that.
1: That'll be your project. Nah, I already got enough. You already gave gave me another one. That's right. Well, you get the chat room thing going first, and then you can then you can write the MGG rap. Uh, feedback at com is the address to which you can send all of your correspondence to us. Email, obviously text, pictures, screenshots, videos, um, cupcakes. I don't know. I don't know how you email cupcakes, but you always say you like cake, John. So that's good. Or pie. Yeah, I did. You know, I said feedback at com. You absolutely
0: said feedback. At MackieGab.com. not MackieGab.com at feedback because that's backwards. That's right. So it Don't w- do that because it won't work. Well, I don't know what it'll do. Don't
1: don't. You could try it. You could try it. It won't work though. It, it, it might work with a uh, an exclamation point in there, the bang sign. But I but I don't think what? so. Well, that's how it used oh, to be, right? You you set a bang path, right? And and it was reverse
0: ordered. So you is know. it the DARPA? Did they? Or Bitnet, or somebody did it wrong. Yeah, was it Bitnet order? I, I, I'm trying to think of the, what what they called that. Well, it was. I
1: mean, it was pre-email. The ad sign was a big deal when that, you know, when that came out, right? Because you didn't have to, to. It was. It was the guys at um, at at, at be. Oh, what the heck is the name of that company in Boston that uh, where the guy invented email? My uncle worked there. He knew the guy. Anyway. You can send audio comments to us that way, but you can also call them in at 206 666 GEEK, which John is 43355. Five. Yeah, you bet your bottom dollar it is. You can visit the show notes that are lovingly handcrafted over there at MacGeekGab.com. You can Skype us to MacGeekGab, and that will go straight to our voicemail. And we'll get that just like we get phone calls, so feel free to use it. Anything else there, John? Feedback. (laughs) (laughs) But we're back to that.
0: Uh, No, we got to move forward. Okay.
1: Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. Oh, right! Great right. In place. The comments. You get like, well, yeah, you get comments there. You can. We've actually had people ask questions there, and we've answered them there. So it's a nice little place to uh, to, to camp out. Uh, you'll also find out when the show has been published and various ah, other things. Twitters. What the about twitters? the twitters? Sure. Tell them about the twitters, John. I'm John Apron.
0: He's Dave Hamilton. The other guy is Pilot Pete. Meckey Gibb is Mackie Gibb. Mac Observer is Mac Observer, and. Yeah, that's
1: about it. That's about it. Uh, you can also check the uh, the Mac Geekab Crew forums over there at uh, at Mac Observer. That's where we've actually got a lot of fantastic uh, people out there. A lot of you have have really kind of taken to answering some questions. I try to get in there a couple of times a week and answer questions, but a lot of times I get there and one of you has already answered a, a question that someone's asked. It's a great place to be. There's a great group of people, so uh, so definitely check that out. And sometimes John even you know comes and joins in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. It's good stuff. All right. Anything else before we uh, before we call this one a wrap here, John? Bang Path. I found it. Uh, what what backwards. did you find? A bang path. Oh, the yeah. bang path stuff. It's all backwards. Well, yeah, that's the idea. Doesn't make any sense. No, it actually did make sense because what you did, uh, what no, let me explain.
0: to... Well, it went from uh, uh, highest to low. Yeah. No, I, I get why they'd order it that you, way.
1: You'd say go from this computer to that computer to that computer to that computer and that user, right? You know, so you'd, you'd, you'd yeah. have to know the path, though. Like right now, you just say, you know, feedback at MacEcap.com and your mail server figures out how to get it to us. That was not how it worked. You, the user, needed to know the path to get the email to us from your computer, which would be different from someone else's computer. And, uh, and that's how the bang path worked. But, it, you know, the at sign was good. The at sign was chosen uh, because it was, you know, easy to find on the keyboards. It had nothing. It was not chosen because, it you know, it makes made sense with the at thing. It was like, you know, what what would work on a teletype keyboard or something? And the at sign was there. It's so like, yeah, that's fine. Use that. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Well, anyway. it's next to the bang. So it was easier to type that, for that's people right. used the sort of thing. Right? That's right. Yeah. And the pound sign, you don't want to use that.
1: So, no. Yeah. That's right. I ought to pound you. Uh, We'd like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast. He converts this show to AAC for us and for you, and we appreciate that. But go listen to We Have Communicators as well. It's a great show. We'd also like to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, for providing all of the bandwidth. To get the show from us to you, the podcast marketplace includes BB Edit from Barebone Software, Text Expander 4 from Smile. Go check that out. And of course, Gazelle. We will be back with show 405 at some point on Tuesday afternoon because we want to get that in before the holiday, which is here in the U.S. Wednesday. So Premium Show 405 will be there on Tuesday. And then we'll be back, uh, I think, Monday night. uh, Whatever it is, we'll post to one of the aforementioned places. Until then, have fun. Don't get caught
0: made up